Hello, everyone, and welcome to For Head's Sake, formerly known as Heads Up. We are the weekly webcast and podcast of the National Headache Foundation. I'm Dr. Lindsay Weitzel, founder of Migraine Nation and chronic daily migraine survivor. I'm excited and honored today because I am here with Dr. Don Buse. Dr. Buse is a clinical professor of neurology and a psychologist who specializes in headache. Hi, Dr. Buse. How are you doing today? Hi, Dr. Weitzel. I'm doing well. And hello to everyone listening and joining us today. So Dr. Buse is awesome. She is really well known in our migraine community, and she has been a guest on our podcast numerous times. Everyone loves her. And I'm excited about our topic today. We are going to talk about is stress related to migraine? Um, Dr. Buse is very knowledgeable on this topic. She has actually authored many papers on stress and migraine, and so she's the perfect person to discuss this with. So I wanted to start out by saying back when my migraine issues were daily, I was in a daily pattern for years, for about 26 years. And I would often run into people who would tell me that my whole migraine problem was because I was too stressed. And I found that hugely frustrating, um, obviously, um, because of many reasons that we will get into as we go on. And I think many people find that frustrating when people, it almost feels like they're blaming us for our migraine, et cetera. Um, And so I wanted to delve into this issue, into uh, the fact that the the way it's worded and why people believe it. And we're going to talk a whole lot about this and what's true and what's not. So, um, so I, I, Dr. Pierce, I don't love the assumption that people with migraine aren't handling their stress well. So let's begin by even just elucidating what stress is. I mean, stress is part of our lives, right? Is it always a bad thing? Right. Well, Lindsay, I love how you share your personal experience. I think that's really great and important, and it really lets people kind of understand that you know what people may be going through to some extent. Um, People saying that to you, unfortunately, was minimizing. It was stigmatizing. It was devaluing, and it's just flat out wrong. So it's incorrect. So let's start with that. Um, And we have to talk about stigma soon because a lot of stigma underlies a lot of phrases that people might throw out even when they're trying to be helpful. Um, But we're going to get into the relationship between stress and migraine. And they are good friends, stress and migraine. They do have relationships. Mm -hmm. We're going to talk about the research. But it might not be exactly what everyone thinks. There's some interesting things that we can use to our advantage to Mm -hmm. live well with migraine. Okay, let's start with stress. Stress gets Mm -hmm. a bad rap. So I actually like to think along two different dimensions. So there's kind of how we're feeling in any moment, either activated or relaxed. Mm -hmm. And then it can also be positive or negative. So we could be activated and excited, happy at a concert of our favorite band, uh, falling in love, um, watching our kids score a soccer goal, um, just having a great day at work, just doing our thing. And we actually need a little bit of stress for performance. Mm -hmm. So stress gives us the energy. You know, you and I actually got to chat even before 
this podcast, we always kind of think about our thoughts, we gather our thoughts, we share our mm-hmm. ideas, we text a little bit, we email a little bit, you know, like we put some real thought into it. And then you yeah. go on, you want to make sure that you look okay, and there's no spinach in your teeth, and that your room's not messy behind you. Like there's a little bit of activation there. There's a little bit right. of stress because we want to do a good podcast um, for our listeners because it's important to us. There's a little bit of stress. And if mm-hmm. there weren't, we kind of, you know, uh, slouching, you know, I might show up late, I might have spinach in my teeth and might right. not have really had refreshed myself on the research. So I'm up to date. So a little bit of stress gives us good performance. It makes us activate. It makes us excited. It's a little bit part of being human. Right. Um, But then there's times when stress is too problematic. So prolonged stress, stress on an everyday basis, stress on an Mm -hmm. all day basis. It wears out our nervous system. It reduces immunity. You know, it makes it easier to get sick. It leads to weight gain around the middle, especially. Um, We call this burnout um, or rust out, just this long stress. And actually a lot of people have been going through some prolonged stress their whole life. When you live with migraine, it Mm -hmm. does cause stressors for you, be it canceling plans, be it pain, be it disability, be it how others perceive you. Um, The constant worry when you're going to get a migraine. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So that is a low level of stress. Yeah. That is not easy to live with. Mm -hmm. Um, We've all been going through this multi-year pandemic together. So we've all had that stressor. In addition to whatever other stressors you have on your plate, and they all add up and they're cumulative. So stress in short bursts when it's related to something we want to do well on, something we're excited about, something we care about, even if it's a hard thing, like taking a big exam, um, it's not harmful to us. And it kind of boosts our performance. The longer term stress really grates on you and really can be challenging. Okay. Now, interestingly, when we get into the migraine research, which we're going to get into in a few minutes, I'm going to tell right. you some interesting, fun facts about stress and migraine. But let's remember, migraine is the disease. You live with right. migraine. Migraine is has a genetic predisposition. Yep. Um, if you want to blame anyone, I guess we blame our, our parents, our ancestors, but really... <laughs> You know, we don't blame anything on migraine other than a genetic predisposition. Now, on that, I love that you clarified that before we get started because people don't quite get that. And so I think it's important that we start out by saying the genetic predisposition before we go into stress and other things like that. So go ahead. Now, on this landscape of living with migraine, you Mm -hmm. have these attacks. Now, Mm -hmm. you had the really unfortunate experience that you went to chronic and daily pretty early and young in your life. Mm -hmm. That's a really hard way to live. So you didn't even really have time in between. So if someone told you your attack was related to stress, that's just ridiculous. You didn't even have a a period to trigger an attack. Um, Yeah. That's what I always said back to them. Like, what did you think I was so stressed about when I was four or my father who had a similar history? Cause our genetics are the same. What did you think he was so stressed about when he was four? Right. 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 But we are going to use some clues about changes in stress level to think about, are they related to the attacks? Are they related to the attacks? There's, there's things that are related to attacks for some people. We'll get into that Mm -hmm. um, in just a minute. Um, but having migraine is not your fault. You did not cause it. It is a disease with a genetic predisposition. So we always want to lay that out there first. Right. 
Okay. So thank you for saying that. That's so important. We always love to start out many of our episodes with, with this fact that we have a, we have a certain tendency toward migraine that we're essentially born with based on our genetics. And then, so what I kind of wanted to get into with the next question is that everyone's nervous system sort of prefers things to be even keeled, correct? Stable sleep patterns, stable eating patterns, stable stress patterns. In other words, like nervous systems prefer boredom over surprise. Um, But when we're talking about the nervous system of someone with migraine, we often hear this term attack threshold. Um, Can you talk to us about what attack threshold means for someone with migraine and especially related to stress? Exactly. Exactly. So you're exactly right. Someone with migraine, um, their nervous system might be very, very reactive. Mm -hmm. And that's why you might hear someone say, I know when the weather changes and I can feel it in my head. I know when my menstrual cycle is coming. I know when I've had certain foods. Um, they might really have a strong predisposition towards saying, I I know when I might be at risk of a migraine attack. And that might be that those variables being either outside their body, like weather changes or inside their body, like hormone changes with a menstrual cycle do make their nervous system more ready, more vulnerable for an attack. Um, So when we think about this theory of the the headache attack or the migraine attack threshold, Mm but this threshold, when might an attack happen? And these potential variables or triggers, are they stack up. So maybe right. the weather changed and it's right before your menstrual cycle and you didn't get enough sleep because you were preparing for a big presentation at work. And maybe you pushed over this threshold in your body and mm-hmm. boom, you have the attack. But we mm-hmm. also think that you can raise this threshold by doing all those healthy lifestyle things, getting enough sleep, staying hydrated, managing your stress. Now, we always got to remember, we cannot control what happens to us. All we can control is how it affects us and our reaction to it to some degree. So tough things keep happening. You know, and when you live with a chronic, painful, unpredictable illness, you have constant hits. John Kabat-Zinn says, we can't stop the waves from coming. We can just learn how to surf. surf. (laughs) so that's what we're kind of doing is building our surfboard. Right. Oh, that's so a the, great analogy. I love build build our surfboard. Yeah, I live here in San Diego. <laughs> uh, so, you know, it's all about surfing here, surfing and fish tacos. It's all San Diego. So, <laughs> yeah, got to work on our surfboards um, to get us over those waves because those waves keep crashing. And every time mm-hmm. you have a migraine attack and you lose time, and you go through pain, you know, it's another wave hitting you. And mm-hmm. how do you get back up? So we also have this theory that you might be able to move up the threshold a bit when you get enough sleep and you stay hydrated and you maybe do some fun, pleasant activities and your stress is not out of control that week, et cetera, et cetera. So this idea of this moving threshold is really helpful because one thing that can be so frustrating, angering, depressing about life with migraine is when it feels completely out of your control. Yes. I've lost control of my life. Migraine rules my life. It's a really bad way to feel. And a lot of people feel that way. And if we can start seeing these variables, both the ones that might, you know, be our risk is stacking up for an attack and the ones that, okay, I might be able to do some things that might lower my risk for an attack. At least it gives us something we can do. And that feels good. Yes. Okay. I love that point. And when you say out of control, 
what comes to mind for me is anytime we feel out of control, we feel a little bit like a victim. And I think that that's one of the worst places we can go as a person with migraine. When we're feeling like a victim, things start to not go well for us. We always need to be in a place of empowerment. So I love that you said that we we don't want to feel that way. And we're going to get into some things we can do to, to stay out of that space. Um, but let's, let's go on to, um, we're still talking about kind of like our nervous system and keeping it regulated and why in migraine that's so important. And I used to be one of those people whose migraine and pain would get worse if I took a day off from work or school or studying. And in here, everyone's telling me that my whole problem is that I'm too stressed and this is why I get migraine. But then as soon as I took some time off, I felt so much worse. And now we have a term for this. I love it which we didn't really have when I used to have this problem, but we have it now. And I'm going to go ahead and let you talk about it. But let's let's talk about these type of people that might feel worse when they take a day off and, and what we can do about that. Yeah, so this is the letdown headache. This comes mm-hmm. after the stress. And mm-hmm. if you talk to more uh, older people, maybe talk to your grandparents, you know, they're going to say the weekend headache, the honeymoon headache, right. um, it might be the first day of spring break headache. Uh-huh. The irony is that this, this migraine attack comes when you're finally done with the stressful event or time and ready to relax and enjoy yourself and boom, now it hits you. Mm-hmm. And my colleague, Dr. Lipton and I did a observational diary study where people completed diaries and electronic diaries. So it was really not well done data. And we just went in and looked at patterns mm-hmm. and we were so surprised to see that we found more attacks that happened in the letdown period following the end of the stressful period, rather than at the height of the stress. Mm-hmm. Now, there's some other work done also with um, N1 and Dr. Orr did some really cool stress work. So the jury's a little bit out. Humans are complicated. Some people seem to have differences or within the same person, you might also have differences within one mm. person. So sometimes it might be one, sometimes it might be the other, but some people tend to have this letdown stress pattern. Some people do have pattern at the peak, but what research is finding in a really well done study called the headache prediction study, head pre by Dr. Dana Turner, Tim Poole, some really smarty pants, awesome, smart, nice people. Um, change, change seemed to be the precursor. So right. it wasn't just increasing stress. It was the decrease in stress. It was both either way, right? Change sleep, more sleep, less sleep, change yep. in caffeine and more caffeine, less intake, okay. less, less caffeine. So what they found, and they actually called it in their research surprisal and mm-hmm. they measured things in surprisal units, like how different it was from today than yesterday. That mm-hmm. was what they called surprisal and just found the changes in some of these, in some of these factors increase someone's risk for an attack. Now, I love this research because it gives us some insight again. It lets us think about what can we do? What might we have a little control over? But on the flip side of this coin, I do not want to blame people living with migraine for their attacks. They can come out of the blue. They can come no matter every perfect, healthy behavior you do. We all know that. So we have to acknowledge that. That's important. It's not your not fault. Only, it's not your them. fault. Not only can they come out of the blue, but some of these people that try, I, I feel like the stigma that comes 
when someone that doesn't have migraine is talking to you about your stress um, is they don't understand that your nervous system is primed for migraine. And it almost comes across as I know how to manage my stress because I don't have migraine. You must not be managing your stress well. And, and, and we may have to do an almost superhero job of managing certain things in our lives than someone with a nervous system that isn't primed for migraine is sort of the way I have always taken, told people it's the way I word it. Um, and instead of the fact, instead of the idea that we're doing a poor job. Um, oh, for sure. And that person <laughs> who may be trying to help you, they may have a different bodily stress or change reaction. Right. They may have a different chronic illness. They may not even realize that X, Y, or Z in their life is caused by changes in, in various factors. There's actually dozens of these kind of chronic illnesses with episodic manifestations or attacks. Right. There's diabetes, and eczema, and fibromyalgia, and irritable bowel, and boom, boom, boom. Right. I'm sure we could all think of more and more and more. They all maybe, react. Maybe stress makes them judge people. No, I'm kidding. That was a joke. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I was totally kidding. That doesn't happen. <laughs> that's okay. We can laugh. Sometimes. Okay. <laughs> um, but, but, but yeah, all humans, ahead. actually, all all animal, you know, every living living thing does well with some routines for these healthy habits. You know, we have about half right. a dozen that really matter: the sleep, the exercise, or movement, the healthy hydration, healthy nutrition, um, and managing stress. Again, we can't control what happens to us. We can try to control how we react to it. Right. That being said, some people just live with overwhelming amounts of stressors and my heart mm -hmm. goes out to them. Um, so managing stress is not as easy as it sounds and it varies what each individual situation is. Yes. And we, I do believe we have to become superheroes at this. I do this. I have had 40 years of working with my mentality and my migraine and every day I'm working on getting better and better at this. So I wanted to move on to another concept. Um, there is great variation in how people perceive their stress. Is that not true? Um, oh, there's sure. a oh sure. Right. Let's so think about let's think that? about a different pain. Let's think about a terrible, terrible pain in your abdomen. Right. And maybe one person is giving birth and an hour later she has a baby, and another guy has a kidney stone, an hour later he has a kidney stone pass. <laughs> think about the different emotions. Mm -hmm. Maybe the same similar level of pain in the same part of their body, totally different emotions. And think right. about how different those events are perceived. Right. So absolutely. So again, it's not the event that happens. It's, it's what it means to us and how we react to it. So right. that's going to depend on a whole bunch of things. So maybe one person has a stable income and they own a home and they have family support, they're they're doing well financially. They have all these kind of safety nets beneath them. And mm -hmm. something happens financially, you know, maybe say their car breaks down and they're going to say, well, that's a bummer, but okay, I can handle that. Maybe we've got another person. Let's take a mom. Maybe she's a single mom. Maybe she's got multiple kids and maybe she has lost her job or maybe she's working two jobs. Her car breaks down and that's her rent money. And maybe she can't even afford medications right. now this month. These are entirely different situations. So it's not just the event. 
but it's what it means in the moment to that person, how many resources they have, how many protective cushions they have beneath them. Mm-hmm. And then their perception. Some people are are very spiritual and right. can lean on that to get through things. Some right. people, a lot of our listeners have tried cognitive behavioral therapy and they'll see their thoughts and they'll say, okay, I'm going to reframe this thought. Mm-hmm. Some people have good support, be it family, friends, other communities they've created, maybe a migraine community they lean on. Some people may not feel like they have any of those things right now. So it's not the event. It's really what it means in the context. Mm -hmm. So when we do all this research, we can measure just the event. And there's something called the Holmes Ray Life Inventory that gives Mm -hmm. ratings to getting a parking ticket, moving, death of a spouse. Mm -hmm. Um, That's kind of like assuming that humans kind of react to all those things in exactly the same way. Mm -hmm. But a lot of our research now, we try to say, how stressful is this for you? Knowing that person at any given time in their life, their rating will be different. So it's what it means to you that matters. That's what gets your brain going. That's what starts the fight or flight response. That's what gets the cortisol, the stress hormone producing. And that's what puts you into the very stressful state in your body. It's what it means to you. Okay. So, so you've done a good job of explaining perceived stress what it means to you. So in this moment, um, if I fell out of my chair and landed on the floor, it might hurt differently than it did to someone else or feel differently to me. It would mean something different. So how is perceived stress um, related to migraine? So it's the changes in perceived stress Mm -hmm. that seem to be increase the risk of an attack and it could be that increase or it could be the decrease. And what might be happening with the decrease might be that during the increased stressful period, the fight or flight response is going and you've got stress hormones like cortisol circulating in in your system. Mm -hmm. And then once, once that time period is over and that when someone kind of relaxes, Mm -hmm. um, all that brain chemistry changes. Mm -hmm. And it may have been that this is kind of ironic. It may have been that some of those stress hormones protected them because when Mm -hmm. we're in the fight or flight response, we actually don't notice pain as much. Mm -hmm. And it might be an evolutionary functional survival technique to get us out of danger. You know, you hear about people getting out of a burning building or lifting a car off of someone in an accident. We have this adrenaline and and stress hormones that kind of get us out of that dangerous situation. But then you finally, now you're relaxing. Maybe those stress hormones have dropped. So this is not to say I want everyone to stay in a stressful, stressful state at all times. No, no. Because that's kind of what happens to us. That's what used to happen to me because I felt better. I felt when I didn't relax. So I think we do have to be careful if we have that type of pattern where we, it hurts more when we relax. Um, the point is not to always be stressed. (laughs) Right. Right. The point is always be thinking about the relaxation, always watching the stress level. So if you go to work for eight or 10 hours, you kind of feel like your stress level is just kind of going up and up and up and all, all day. Can you take some mini breaks? Can you go outside at lunch and take a break and take a walk or uh, watch a funny video? Can you do a Mm -hmm. a 30 second breathing every once every minute or in between every 
Zoom call or every appointment? How can you kind of keep watching your level all throughout the day so we don't go a whole work shift and then come home and boom, that stress level has been high all day? Right. How can you get through a week? Like, so let's say finals week in college. Now, that's kind of more of a marathon, five, six, seven, eight days of stress. How can you get through that? Going into it. Can someone plan um, breaks? Can they plan their sleep to make sure they get enough? Can they stock up on favorite healthy foods before they get started? Do they have anyone who can help friends Mm -hmm. or family who want to bring them a healthy meal? Or, you know, can you stop and watch a funny video for 60 seconds? When I'm doing biofeedback with people, it only takes about 10 seconds of relaxed breathing or thinking mm-hmm. about something pleasant to see the stress response start to relax. So I love that. Improve, yeah. muscles relax, exactly. So it can be really short, but we want to keep an eye on our stress level throughout the day and every day. That so is great advice. Keep moving. That's great advice. Don't let it get off the charts and then come home and think everything's going to be fine. It's just much easier to try and keep it in a stable type zone throughout the day. Our nervous systems are very grateful when we do that. Yeah. It, I mean, that's perceived. assuming something horrible didn't happen that day. That's assuming right, something right. awful didn't happen. Right. And that can happen. And that can happen, you know. But And if we can, I, it's great to intervene right after. Like if you get that terrible phone call, try and intervene and, and keep, keep the stress level down. I, that's something that I've learned to do uh, in the last few years is if there's, you know, some, some fire you're putting out, just try and intervene and do the breathing, et cetera. But what I wanted to 30 seconds of breathing, 30 seconds Mm -hmm. and just get oxygen back into your brain. You can do two minutes of walking up the stairs and burn out some of those stress hormones. You can take a walk around the building. You can do something for really short period of time that will not take away from managing the crisis at hand, but will kind of do a quick reset on your nervous system, which is actually going to help you manage the crisis better because you'll be thinking a lot more clearly. Exactly. So is perceived, this is my favorite part. This is sort of where the turn in in this episode, I think is, uh, I want people to, to hear this. Is perceived stress something, while you just gave us some management tips, is our perceived stress something we can change? In other words, through things like cognitive behavioral therapy or our thought processes, processes, can we change our perceived stress? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Our perception of events change every day. Every day right. we, we grow and learn and become, you know, different versions of ourselves all the time. Um, there are some great strategies in cognitive behavioral therapy on how to stop, recognize the thought, right. and then we can do something called a thought log or thought testing. Say, how realistic or accurate is that thought? Mm-hmm. Try to come up with a more realistic or accurate thought and then reassess how are we feeling? Did that lower anxiety? Did that lower the depression? Mm-hmm. There's something mm-hmm. called catastrophizing that I know you and I have talked about before, um, yeah. where we can kind of call it a thought snowball, where a worry snowball, where very quickly you go from one terrible outcome to another terrible outcome. And all of a sudden you start up here, let's say, 
let's go back to that, that finals week example. You know, I'm really not ready for that final tomorrow. If I fail it, I, my GPA is going to be low. I might lose my scholarship. If I lose my scholarship, I'll drop out of school. I'll be an embarrassment. Mm-hmm. I'll never get a job. I'm such a disappointment. You, in a nanosecond, your thought goes one, two, three, four, five. Worse and worse and, and worse. Yeah. Say, yeah. And what I would say to that person is, okay, stop it right back up here at thought number one. Mm-hmm. Say, okay, reality is, yes, I'm not, this is a tough subject for me, or I'm not as prepared for this final as I'd like to be. But chances are, I'm going to still go to the exam, I'm going to score some points, I can probably get a C, I can go talk to the professor about extra credit opportunities, you know, quickly stop that downwards anxiety snowball that leads to the worst case scenario. Right. Because even though they're just thoughts, they cause our body to do the whole fight or flight response. Our body right. goes and all the stress hormones and the glucose is released, the muscles tight and the, the blood flows less in the head and down to the big muscle groups. Your body thinks you're ready to fight or run. And all mm-hmm. you're doing is laying there worrying. Right. But it actually puts you into the stress response. So right. our thoughts can create stress response. But through some of these kind of CBT strategies or distraction, do a meditation. If you're mm-hmm. spiritual, take a moment and pray. Um, talk to someone else. Just distract yourself. Watch a funny 30-second video on your phone. Just break that cycle so that you don't so your body doesn't activate the stress response. Because once your body activates the stress response, that's everything that affects the nervous system that we we're talking about. Right. So we will do a whole separate episode on cognitive behavioral therapy. And we have done some in the past, um, in the previous Heads Up podcast, if you want to go search on the National Headache Foundation website. So if you want to learn more about that, you can. Um, but what she's talking about, unfortunately, that word can be very triggering for people, the word catastrophizing, because it's not used well in our community often. When people talk about it with migraine, I feel like the stigma, it often is used um, like we are doing it and causing our own problem and healthy people don't catastrophize. This is something everyone does. Um, But there is research in the migraine community about how we can sort of turn things around with cognitive behavioral therapy. So it's talked about more in reference to us. And so it can be a triggering thing, I think, and it's often not worded well. Um, So I want to throw that out there. Don't go blank because someone might have misused this word in, in talking to you because I've seen that happen a lot with people in our community. Um, So as we move on, do you feel like perceived stress then, I think going back to how we started this, this episode is more of a trigger of migraine attacks, or do you feel like it is a cause? Oh, it is everything. (laughs) It is all of the above. It's Uh a cause. It's a consequence. It's totally in the mix. Mm -hmm. Um, so it looks like it looks like it can be both. Let's start with consequence of living with migraine. Mm-hmm. Someone is living with a painful, unpredictable condition where attacks come out of the blue seemingly and disrupt their lives in really negative ways and it hurts and they're right. disabled. It is not surprising that that is stressful. That is stressful, of mm-hmm. course. So it's a consequence of life with migraine. Right. 
It also seems to be related to increased risk of attack. Mm -hmm. Um, But like we talked about, it goes both ways. The raising of that stress and the lowering of that stress, just the changes in the stress do seem to, the perceived stress level do seem to be related to attack risk. Mm -hmm. So we want to keep it kind of lower and consistent when when possible. Not always easy, but it's a goal to to keep our... Not only the perception of stress, but how much time we spend thinking about it, rumination. Right. Right. Something bad happened, but we need to kind of work on it, put it aside, and not let it dominate our thoughts. That's where the stress comes from. The stress comes from our thoughts about things. Our thoughts activate the fight or flight response. Just our thoughts get the neurochemicals and the nervous system going. Right. So it's our thoughts about it. So absolutely, it's related in both ways. Um, And then, in fact, it's also associated with worse outcomes, like when people move from episodic to chronic migraine, Mm -hmm. um, called chronification or progression. Um, In fact, people who are more likely to have chronic migraine the next year were found to have higher levels of catastrophizing. Now, I don't we don't know which direction, which came first. Right. They're migraine getting worse. So they're catastrophizing worse. Or was something else going on with anxiety, catastrophizing, and migraine was getting worse? Or was there a third thing that affected both of them? Mm -hmm. So we're not trying to put the blame anywhere. We're just saying that some of these ways of thinking are associated with worse outcomes with migraine. And the nice thing is, through various strategies, we can really manage and change the ways of thinking. We can't change some of the negative events that happen, but we can change how much time we spend going over them and how we think about them. And that's what matters to our migraine. Yes. That was a lovely way to put that uh, answer to that. It's almost surprise question I threw out at you. So good job, Dr. Buse. That was awesome. To me, one of the reasons this is such an interesting topic is, as I had gone through 40 years of a migraine journey, many of those years were daily. I never did get a pain break. And I had many, you know, the vomiting, the nausea, I had so many consequences to this is um, the, I did discover at some point it took years and getting better a little bit for me to feel that I was able to help myself through some of these techniques. And now I do see that my perception my thoughts are making a huge change in how I feel and in my migraine disease. But I can also say that my pain has a huge influence over my thoughts. So for those of us that have been or are in a lot of pain or are having a lot of constant migraine, this, it it takes work. So I think the biggest rule is to be easy on yourself. Don't be hard on yourself. It's okay. And always keep track of your thoughts and you will notice that some, sometimes it's harder than other times and that is okay. And to make it, even though my background is science as a patient, to make it um, a little bit less sciencey, I almost think that constant pain sort of takes away our trust that everything is going to be okay. And we need to get that trust back in order to get our thoughts in the right place. So it's okay to start trusting and convincing yourself that it's going to be okay and, and get your thoughts in the right place. So um, 
So when that stress occurs, just watch your thoughts, I think is what we're trying to say. And we will be doing a cognitive behavioral therapy episode soon. And um, that's one of the one of the best techniques, I think, Dr. Buse, correct, that we know of to sort of help work this backwards. There are a few. There's biofeedback. We do have a lot of tools. Am I right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And some people like managing stress in other ways, like physical ways, like exercise, Mm -hmm. spending time with your pet, spending time with friends, spending time on a hobby, spirituality, all sorts of other ways. Also, distraction can be Mm -hmm. helpful as well and focus on other positive things, including um, helping others, feeling gratitude and volunteering. Those are all good for stress and mood. And you might think, oh my gosh, I'm feeling so terrible. How can I help someone else? And yet it is well established that when you help others, it it changes your focus and you tend to feel better as well. Yes, definitely. Dr. Buse, is there anything else you'd like to add to our discussion on stress and migraine? Well, I hope all these tips and tricks are helpful, but I really want all of our listeners to know that migraine is not your fault. You are not at fault for having the precondition. You are not at fault for having the attacks. However, that being said, whenever we find little tidbits and pearls in science that we can share with you about things that you can do that may help, we always want to share those. So that's the spirit that that Dr. Weitzel and I want to share all this information, not in a blaming way, but in a supportive way. So you can start to look for your own patterns You can start to think about any kind of tweaks that you can make in your life to just live better with this chronic illness and kind of think about the surfboard, Mm -hmm. kind of getting over those waves rather than getting pummeled each time. So that's what our hope is for you. Right. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Buse. And thank you everyone for joining us on this episode of Forehead's Sake. Please join us again next week. And remember that you can find us uh, either our audio version or you can also find us on video. Everyone, you have a happy and pain-free week.